Welcome to It Came From The Deep, a narrative podcast series based on the novel by best-selling author Maria Lewis. Chapter 9. A thunderstorm had broken the afternoon heat, and since then, the Gold Coast had been blanketed in a consistent rain shower. The surface of Lake Palutz, which was usually so still it looked like glass, dimpled as the rain made contact with the water. It was past midnight, with all of the surrounding houses at the lakes plunged into darkness as their residents snored safely inside. No one heard as Caius sprinted down the grassy slope towards the lake edge and dived off the path into the water with the smallest splash. She stayed under the surface until she was a few metres from the shore and threw herself into a confident stroke of freestyle. Kaya had been blessed by the weather, which had seen many retire earlier than expected and had brought an untimely end to a few of the picnics people had been having around Lake Plutz. She felt her appearance at the lake was somewhat cloaked by the storm rather than just the unusual hour. As she swam to the centre, the physical exertion felt like a sigh of relief. She felt perfectly safe here, protected, even comforted by the knowledge that she wasn't alone. Sure enough, it was less than a minute after she dived in that a silver flash crossed her path. It was just a glimpse at the side of her vision at first, before another, this time slower. Amos's face finally popped into view, smiling at her. She smiled back and slowed down enough that they would be able to have a proper conversation. Using her legs to keep herself afloat, Kaya took a gulp of air as she began to tread water. The black seaweed of Amos's hair appeared next, only half submerged as he kept everything below his nose underneath the water. I've got a surprise before you, she said, gesturing back towards the shore. Besides fish. Besides fish? Well, I brought chocolate too, but this is something you'll be really excited about. I already am, he said, raising himself higher out of the water and offering her his back. Kaya had been taken by surprise the first time they did this, but she was more prepared now as she wrapped her arms around his and they propelled forward at speed. Amos slowed down when they got to the shore and Kaya stumbled to find her footing as her body adjusted to the sudden decrease in momentum. Wading through the water until she was at the edge, she reached towards a small bag she had left there. She perched it on her knees and gave Amos a smile as she unzipped it and started laying out the contents on the path. Assorted fishes, she said, naming the treats. Chocolate, white darkened milk, because I didn't know what your preference was. Milk, he chirped. Okay, good. And finally, this. She held an electric razor up in the air triumphantly. Amos's smile faded as he looked at the object with wonderment, like it was some bizarre foreign treasure. To shave, she said, wiggling it in his direction. You didn't have a razor. This is a razor. The sharpest. There are lots of them, spinning over each other again and again electronically. It's also waterproof and battery-powered. I stole it from my dad's cupboard, but he has about a thousand, so this is yours. Just don't take it very deep. I don't think it would survive more than a five metre depth. He was still looking at it sceptically. You've never used an electric razor. 
He shook his head. Only old school barbershop stuff? He nodded again. It's okay, I can teach you. I had to shave my dad's face for a month last year after he broke his right hand. But first, I'm going to use these scissors to clip away some of the larger parts of your beard. She thought explaining everything to him carefully and clearly would help any wariness he might be feeling. When she was done getting rid of some of the length, she placed the scissors on the lake edge and dusted her hands together. Kaya motioned for Amos to move out into the deeper water. She walked until the surface was dancing around her shoulders and turned the razor on. She handed him a small torch and got him to hold it in the right spot so she could see properly. His expression grew even more alarmed when the buzzing started, but she gave him a reassuring smile. He grew still as she moved forward, cupping his left cheek and tilting his head. Kaya started shaving. Amos kept looking down at the tufts of beard falling off into the water around them as she quickly did the first half of his face. One sec, Kaya said, wading back to grab the mirror she had also brought with her. She held it up for him to see the effect so far, and he blinked at his reflection there. Wow, he exclaimed, running his hand along the smooth surface of his face. Told you, she chuckled, shaking her head as she moved in to finish the rest. How much do you want off your head? He considered for a moment. I like it when it's all gone. It feels strange when it's long and the water runs through it. I love that feeling. Amos reached out and lifted a strand of Kaya's own hair as the tips of it floated in the water. It only extended to her shoulder blades. That was as long as she could handle it, thanks to being in the water all the time. But it was smooth and naturally straight. It always had a certain fluffy volume to it that looked like freshly dried hair, which it often was, given it was usually emerging from the being-wet state. This is your natural colour. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, he said, genuine awe in his voice. Kaya paused at the front of his head, where she had just started shaving. Here was a man who was literally from fairy tales and whose scaled tail was one of the most hypnotically enchanting things she had ever seen. Yet he thought her hair was beautiful. It's like sunlight he continued. I am in the sun a lot. And you swim. She tilted her head, a question in the gesture. You're very fast, he explained, especially for a human. You can see it in your muscles. So there, in the middle of the night, while she shaved the head of an aquatic humanoid, Kaya began telling a perfect stranger all about her life. She told Amos more about her brother and father. She told him all about Cabby and how their friendship had grown. She told him about what she did for a living and how she had wanted to be a professional ironwoman for a long time. And she told him about Bree Tyler. While she'd hinted at it before, it all seemed to come gushing out of her that night as she explained what had happened. Her part in the horror and everything that had come afterwards. She had long since finished with his hair and beard, but she stayed standing there in the water as she talked. I think those men were her brothers, she added finally. Really? The men who attacked you? I'm certain of it. They're both the same build, and I picked up South African accents. I never did get a good look at their faces, but the police said they had arrived in the country a few days earlier, and they have been missing ever since. They also had the strongest reasons for wanting to hurt me. 
Not that there aren't others out there who would feel justified in doing it. Who? Amos practically barked. What are their names? She jumped slightly at the fever in his voice. His features were tight with anger, and for the first time since the attack, Kaya almost felt afraid of him. I, uh, I don't know. I just said it. There are a lot of people who still think what happened was my fault. It wasn't. You held on as tightly as you could. The wave was too big. Preaching to the choir. He looked frustrated by this, the injustice of it all. It was in that instant Kaya realised what a sheltered life Amos had lived. Literally in a glass house his entire existence. Amos, she asked. How did you learn to speak so well? Do your people... No. Father taught me. He taught me English, French and Chinese. Really? You're multilingual. Père de ce que le langage était le pot d'entrée de monde et qui voulait que je prenne un temps que possible. She laughed, impressed. What did you just say? I said, Father said language is a gateway to the world. He wanted me to learn as many as possible. We were learning Arabic together when he died. Amos nodded. What do you remember about that night? Was he acting strange or was it just a normal day? He came home from the university in a panic. I'd never seen him like that. He was terrified. Sergeant Ferris said the men who shot him trashed your house as well. Amos shook his head quickly. No, that was father. He was doing that before they came. He poured acid on the computers and burned all of our things, all of my pictures. Why would he do that? All of his research was in there, everything he worked for. Maybe that's what they were after, his research. Maybe it wasn't a case of mistaken identity at all. Professor Victor Waldman was a doctor of marine biology, Kaya. He only studied fish and aquatic life. I get it, he wasn't exactly the keeper of state secrets, she nodded, but was still unable to shake the idea once it had taken hold. What was the last thing he was working on before he was killed? His mouth popped open in understanding, and Kaya saw a whole new pain wash over his face. He swam away from her and then back again, like the human equivalent of pacing. Amos fingered the chain that hung around his neck, and Kaya was finally able to catch a glimpse of what hung at the end of it. Three keys. Amos, what do they open? She asked, pointing to his chest. I don't know, he said, absent-mindedly. Father gave them to me that night. You never knew what the keys were for. This one, he held up a more modern-looking key, was used to unlock the cupboard where he kept all of his dangerous chemicals. Acid, mercury, everything harmful was in there, and you couldn't get to it without this. The other two, I have no idea what they open. I've never seen him use them for anything in my life, but he used to wear this around his neck, always. I never saw him take it off. Kaya swam closer, picking up the two mystery keys in her hand. These ones look older, almost like antique keys. Maybe, Amos shrugged. Father had a tendency to make things look like what they weren't. We used to play games where he would camouflage toys in the pool and I had to try and find them. He said they were brain exercises and he would laugh and laugh as I tried to make things work one way when he had changed how they looked so they actually worked another. Like riddles. Yes, 
He said they helped my problem-solving skills develop. When he gave me this chain, it was the first thing he did when he got home that night. The last night. I didn't realise how scared he was until he put it over my head and I could see the fear in his... Amos's voice broke as he recalled his final moments with his father. He looked down at the surface of the water, which was still rippling thanks to the rain. Kaya felt like she was finally able to see his face and properly judge the emotions that were dancing there. No longer hidden behind a castaway beard, the dark, almost black colour of his eyebrows only highlighted the largeness of his eyes. His irises were an unusual colour. She couldn't decide whether they were dark blue or grey, and they were directed downwards as he tried to control his feelings. He had a long, soft nose that seemed almost Italian in origin. His lips were insignificant in nature, small and thin, and she wondered what the greyish tone of his skin would look like in direct sunlight. Kaya felt like she was encroaching on his grief, but she didn't want him to feel like she was abandoning him. She reached out, her hand intertwining with his own. Amos looked up at her, as if surprised. I think I should go, she whispered. Maybe you need to be alone. No, he said, the words coming out in a rush. Please don't leave just yet. I feel like I spend too much time by myself and I just want you to stay for a little while. Okay, she nodded, moving towards him. Awkwardly, she sat down where she was, but resting on the sand as she remained half in and half out of the water. Amos seemed to fold his tail beneath him, wrapping and bending it in a manner that meant he could sit alongside her. They stayed like that for a very long time. All the while, her hand remained locked in his. When Kaya got home that evening, she sent Cabby a text that she was surprised to see a reply to almost instantly. What are you doing up at this hour? Cabby's message read. Can't sleep, Kaya replied. You? Actively not sleeping, was followed by a winking face emoji. Kaya laughed, wrapping a towel around herself from the warm shower she'd just had. Do you reckon you can set me up on a date with Imogen's brother, the marine biologist? Cabby inundated Kaya's phone with a slew of emojis, followed by a question, for sleuthing or seducing? She replied to her friend with the first option written in capital letters, making sure her intentions were clear. Cabby said that she would organise it in the morning, and Kaya lay down on her pillow with a relieved sigh. Quint was snoring ungracefully next to her, and she thought about booting him off. She ran a hand through his fur, feeling comforted by the presence of someone else, even if that someone else was a lazy German shepherd. Closing her eyes, Kaya thought about sitting with Amos in the lake that night. Her presence had comforted him, and she began to more fully comprehend just how lonely he must have been in the months since his father was killed. She wondered what he must do in the long hours between her visits when the only thing he had was one big, empty lake and a lot of time. When Kaya eventually pulled herself out of bed the next day, she gulped as she scrolled through a stream of messages Cabby had sent her. Not only had she managed to set her up on a blind date with Imogen's brother, she had organised it for that night at the den in Broadbeach. Her friend worked fast and she couldn't begrudge her proactive approach to her dating life. It had been years, actual years, since she had gone on a date 
and a lot had changed since then. Kaya wasn't going out with the cute South African guy from her surf club, and she wasn't 15 anymore. Rolling out of bed, she drew back her blinds and took a moment for her eyes to adjust to the light. Quint had long since abandoned her bed and snuck out of her room, obviously in the direction of whatever food was available. Stretching her long body with a yawn, Kaya opened up the doors to her wardrobe and stared at what lay before her. Okay, so this was a proper date with a proper adult. At the den. People would recognise her there and they would recognise the scenario. She needed to look nice, but not too nice. She was there to get into this guy's brains after all, not his pants. She was distracted from her clothes crisis by a knock on her door and looked up to see Storm there. He was holding a tray full of food, but not just any food. It was a mishmash of some of Kaya's favourites, including French toast and kiwi fruit. Hey, sis, he smiled meekly. Can I come in? Sure, she said, watching with amusement as he laid the feast down at her desk. I made you brunch. I can see that, she crossed her arms and leaned against the wall. It's a big gesture, Storm. Yeah, well, you know, I kind of wanted to say sorry, I guess, for yesterday. I'm not sorry that I wanted to hit him, and I'm not sorry I tried to. Okay, she said, her lips twitching. Dad spoke to me after about how a scene could make things worse for you and how what I did could make things harder. So that's what I'm saying sorry for. I'm always going to want to protect my little sister, and I got caught up in how that would make me feel, not what would happen in your life. Storm, she smiled. I think that might be the most emotionally mature sentence you've ever said. He laughed, nervously running his hands through his hair. I'm not going to lie. I wrote a draft on my phone and practised it. What? Seriously, that's pretty damn adorable. She punched him lightly in the arm as she made her way towards the food. The first bite of the French toast was so good she thought she might cry. Dad said you were really mad, and once I calmed down, I understood why. Hey, she started, forking some kiwi fruit into her mouth. Any apology that comes with brunch is going to be immediately accepted, just so you know. Ha, <laughs> Storm chuckled, throwing himself down onto her rumpled bed. I'll remember that for the future. You've even got maple syrup. Bless you. I'm good he smiled, tucking his hands behind his head. Anyway, what are you up to today? What are your plans, schemes, motivations? I'm going on a date, she said, grinning at the choking sound she heard coming from his direction. A date, he shouted, jerking up on the bed. With who? It's a blind date. You, going on a blind date, no fucking way. Cabby set it up. God help me. With Imogen Tishop's brother. Wait. Which one? Trevor. Travis, she corrected. Travis Tishop. You want to help me pick something to wear or get out of here? More like I'm coming with you. Uh-uh. Not happening, Storm. You're not my personal bodyguard. That's exactly what I am. For tonight, anyway. Storm, no way in hell. Where are you going? The den. Perfect. Storm, look he said, his expression softening. I'll be at the bar. He doesn't even know what I look like. It will be an invisible safety net. If you need me, I'll be there. Kaya stared at Storm, a fork full of toast hovering near her mouth. 
He had a stubborn look in his eyes that she knew all too well was unlikely to budge. I'm not getting out of this, am I? Nope, he grinned. Fine, she huffed. Be ready to go at eight. And Storm? Yeah? Be invisible. I'm a ghost, he whispered, making his best attempt at a poltergeist sound as he slipped from her room with a flourish. The den was everything you would expect of a place with such a name. It was a small, cosy venue with warm lighting. Travis had chosen the location, not Kaya, and as she negotiated her way through the many tables to his position, she did her best to look like she wanted to be there. She absentmindedly made sure her lemon halter neck top was tucked into the high waistline of the three-quarter length denim skirt she was wearing. Simple gold hoops adorned her ears, and she had brushed her blonde hair smooth. Heck, for the first time in a long time, mascara was even highlighting her eyelashes. Kaya needed to make it look like she was on a real date, like any other normal girl her age. She needed to make it look like she wasn't trying to pump information from someone to learn more about her merman friend. Hi there, Kaya. Lovely to meet you in person, Travis said. Kaya smiled as she recognised the man from the photos Cabby had sent through. You too, she replied. He was short, no more than five foot four, and Kaya did her best to bend to his height as he stood on his tiptoes to kiss her cheek. So do I call you doctor or... Travis is fine, he laughed, as they both took a seat on the tall stools that were positioned at their table. I'm still a little embarrassed Cabby sold me on having a PhD. She nodded, noting that he was an attractive man despite an unruly head of hair and a somewhat dishevelled appearance. Considering he was wearing a pair of thick-framed glasses of the style favoured by hipsters, she guessed he was in his late twenties. Do you want something to drink? He asked as a waitress lingered. She glanced quickly at the menu. Could I have a ginger beer, please? And an apple cider for me, he added. An awkward silence fell between them as they struggled to find an opening topic. I've seen you on TV, he said at last. Oh? Competing in the Energen X Ironman series. Oh, Kaya said with understanding. I always forget they televise that. I mean, I don't forget. The cameras are right there. It's just that there's usually a lot of other stuff going on. I bet. Imogen tapes it and likes to watch them back for racing tips. (laughs) Yeah, I used to do the same thing. I've been to a few. The one they held in Kira last year? I don't think I'm built to be around that many people, though. Crowds. Ish. Storm, she noticed, was doing what he'd promised, sitting at the bar, sipping a beer and only occasionally throwing a look her way. The waitress returned with their drinks and she took a sip, enjoying the bubbles as they worked their way down her throat. Your job must be great, she said, trying to direct the conversation where she wanted it to go. I love it. I know how lucky I am to get up every day and do something that I enjoy. How did you first get into it? I actually did work experience at SeaWorld when I was in high school, and then that was it for me. I studied marine biology at Hodgkins Uni and began ticking all the boxes I needed to get in there. Do you get to work with sharks? Yeah, I've done a fair bit of research with them. They freak me out, Kaya shuddered. 
I thought you would be able to handle that fear better than most, being in the water all the time. Sure, I guess. It's the black eyes that do it, and the teeth. Those things are like steak knives, he nodded. A great white can shed over 35,000 teeth in its lifetime, and all of them are just as deadly, just as razor sharp. They're perfectly designed for tearing flesh. But just because shark teeth are serrated, that doesn't mean they're all designed for killing, right? Actually, it kind of does, he said. Kaya could see the way his eyes lit up with enthusiasm. There are variations in the tooth structure from breed to breed. For instance, the grey nurse has very different teeth to a great white. A nurse eats mainly smaller fish, smaller prey, so the edges are different. Huh. Are there any types of fish that have teeth like that too? Barracuda teeth are actually pretty similar to shark teeth. That's interesting, she mused, taking a sip of her drink. Has anyone been able to train a shark, like, say, a killer whale or a dolphin? You're pretty into this stuff, aren't you? Just making conversation, she shrugged. I don't do many blind dates. Right, he smiled. I'm kind of a veteran of the blind date thing. But no, to answer your question, there's a higher level of intelligence in dolphins and killer whales, a family structure. Sharks hunt alone. They're solo predators, and they have three main objectives. Hunt, feed, breed. So you're saying that the family structure is important. It's what differentiates the more intelligent species from the less intelligent. Definitely. Hey, you know, if you wanted to just come by my office and see the animals sometime, that would have been okay. What do you mean? You don't really seem... He coughed. Into this excluding my immense knowledge on all things aquatic. No, no, I am. I just had a very strange day and... He laughed, cutting her short. Kaya, it's okay. It's actually refreshing. What is? Meeting a girl who cares more about my work than me. That's not... I... Look, Cabby mentioned that you had been through some stuff and I know some of the specifics. The Gold Coast, she said, looking at her hands. It's a city that still behaves like a small town. If you're not ready to do this, to date or whatever, we can try it another time. She sat there for a few moments, taking in his manner and what he had just said. You seem strangely okay with that. Of course, I'm a reasonable guy. That's rare for me. He laughed again. Listen, how about we just have a nice... Casual dinner tonight. Don't think of it as a date. When we leave here, we leave as friends. No strings? No strings. None. You know, if you're not doing anything next week, you should come visit my office. I could show you the answers to your questions in person. I would really like that. Let's shake on it, he said, extending his hand. Kaya shook it, returning his smile. When Travis and Kaya left the den an hour later... Storm discreetly following behind. They kept it friendly. He gave her a brief hug when they reached his car and she promised to visit him at work and sate that curiosity, as he said. When he drove off, she thanked heavens for Cabby, who had set her up with someone not only useful but actually lovely. Jumping in her own car with Storm, she knew she had a faint smile on her face. Why are you so happy? 
he asked. Sort of looked like you got blown off. I did, I think. That's what you wanted? She looked at her brother, who had an expression of genuine confusion on his face. Yeah, I got what I wanted. This chapter of It Came From The Deep was read by Sophie Parr and produced by Adam Boys at Thaumaturgy Post Production Services. It Came From The Deep is the third novel from Maria Lewis and available physically from all good bookstores and library as well as online. It's also part of her Aurealis award-winning Supernatural Sister series, which includes Who's Afraid, Who's Afraid 2, Who's Still Afraid, The Witch Who Caught a Death, The Wailing Woman, The Rose Daughter, and more. This is the narrative podcast series with new chapters releasing every week and bonus episodes dropping in between with author Maria Lewis and myself, Blake Howard, breaking down the plot, inspirations, and writing process. It Came From The Deep is part of One Heat Minute Productions.